You are listening to the Moms Full Circle Podcast, a place for moms or moms to be to come together and support one another, laugh together, maybe cry together, ask your most random baby questions to judgment free, and tune in to hear all things motherhood. As a mama myself, I know the importance of having a tribe to lean on during this wild ride. I hope this podcast will do that for you too. So grab a cup of coffee or maybe a glass of wine, probably the video monitor too, and let's dive in. Welcome back to the Mom's Full Circle podcast. I hope you guys are doing well and enjoying, what are we, in the second month of the new year? Yeah, February already. Nuts that 2022 has been just flying on by. I'm not going to lie, January was not my favorite month of 2022, but I'm choosing to look at it as glass half full. So we got that month out of the way. We got some sickness out of our house, some sleep regressions out of our house. And that to me means that the rest of the year is all good things. That is what I'm manifesting right now. And if you needed to hear that, I hope the same for you. So today I have a guest on the podcast. I have Kaylee Kukla coming on and Kaylee works with parents on intentional parenting. She is um, she has a master's in education and formerly worked in the school setting, but is now taking like that knowledge as well as a lot of scientific and developmental knowledge and applying that in her work that she does with parents when it comes to behavior. And as we talk about in our conversation together today, Behavior in children is such a huge topic, such a huge struggle for parents. Um, We talk about tantrums in this conversation. We talk about power struggles. We talk about if it can be avoided. And she has a lot of really helpful techniques for parents that may be in this boat and struggling, which I'm sure many, many parents are. I included all of her information in the show notes as far as how you could go about working with her, but also where you could find her on Instagram because she does post a lot of reels and just posts on there with a lot of this information. So be sure to give her a follow. While you guys are here, make sure to subscribe to the podcast and I would love if you would share it out on your social media while you're listening. Help me spread the word and connect with other mamas out here and I will catch you guys at the end. Well, hey, Kaylee, welcome to the Moms Full Circle podcast. We are so excited to have you on here as a guest today. Once we dive in, you have lots of different hats and areas of expertise, um, but welcome. Yeah, I'm so excited to be here. Thanks so much for having me. Um, and yeah, I can't wait to get into some of my favorite topics. <laughs> Yeah, I think this is going to be kind of once I came across your page, I was like, wow, this is, and I'm sure you find it too, such an area of need for families and your approach, I think is, it makes sense, but it's not something that we see often enough out there. So I'm excited to kind of dive into all of that today. So with that being said, why don't you just give um, a little bit before we dive into that part, a little bit about you personally, um, who you are, what your family life um, looks like and all that. Yeah. So um, I think who I am personally very much is melded with who I am professionally at this point, Um, because from a young age, you know, I just I've always had a heart for working with kids. And um, when it came time to choose a major at college, I actually went chose my college based on their um, journalism program, wanting to write. 
And I sat in a seminar for early intervention and I just, for children, and I was like, oh no, this is my heart. And, and so just that spontaneously, I completely changed the trajectory of my life. Um, and that coupled with meeting my husband when we were 14, we started dating when we were 16. Um, and we've, we've been together ever since. So we've been together for 18 years. Um, and we got married young, right out of college and, um, waited five years. We started a business and then waited five years to have our kids. And, you know, with all of that, so I, I have a master's in early childhood special education. And I, you know, like many of us who go into teaching, we work with kids. We've worked with kids our whole lives. And so obviously when you go to start a family, you're like, oh, I got this. I know kids inside and out. And it wasn't my baby that was so challenging. It was me. It was a hundred percent me and my identity and who I was and how I responded and, and my just new, I, yeah, it was just overwhelming, um, to say the very least. And so that sent me on this whole path of conscious parenting and healing past wounds and really becoming, um, aware of how to set limits in a way that delineates appropriate control. Um, you know, not trying to control my child because I can't ultimately. Um, and even that phrase can sound really foreign to people who um, it, it's just, it's paradigm shifting. It really is. It's revolutionary in my opinion, but there's um, a lot of science to back it. And so that's what I, that's what I focus on a lot in my work. And what a cool way to use your degree too. Cause I think yeah. as a fellow educator myself, we kind of go to college thinking like, well, if I'm getting an education degree, like I'm going to teach and that's kind of, you know, I'm going to be in a school and that's kind right. of all I can do with it. But you're showing that like, you're taking so much clearly of, you know, what you learned and applying it in a whole different setting. So I think that's really cool for you too. Yeah. Um, I did start, so my company originally started teaching parenting classes. So teaching little mini social skills classes um, for preschoolers and like preschool prep classes, just fun, like mommy and me format classes, really showing parents how to embed um, learning opportunities, how to facilitate social interactions with their, their children. That's really where I that's kind of how I brought the classroom out into the community when I was became a stay-at-home mom with my first. Um, and then it just turned into just such heavy parent coaching because I found out moms in particular, right, that's who I work with the most, are just hungry for this information. They crave this information because it's so empowering, so empowering. And it's so different from what's out there. Like you had talked about, like, ultimately we can't control, you know, the child. And that's not typically what you hear. So it's probably, you know, a breath of fresh air to hear like, oh, wait, okay, it's something I can do within myself. And that's something I kind of wanted to jump into, actually. Um, I'm throwing this at you a little bit, but you had posted, I believe it was today, um, on your Instagram of talking about, um, like your own relationship patterns and the work that you had to do within yourself and how that affected your parenting. And I thought that was so interesting. So could you dive into that a little bit? 
Oh, yeah. This is honestly (laughs) probably my favorite topic. And I think it's something um, that carries a lot of shame often. So people don't talk about it. But I tend to be really open with it because I think it's really important. So I grew up in an alcoholic house. And so um, when that happens, when there's an addict in the family system, we develop relationship patterns of codependency. So my codependency, essentially my addiction, right, was control. I try and control that person and their actions to keep them from getting their substance. Because if they would just stop using that substance, right, everything would be fine. That's the story you start telling yourself and that's how you start operating. So that is the pattern with which I grew up. And then as an adult child, what that looked like is me as a young mom with two, a toddler and an infant at home, still walking out of my home and trying to fix what was going on with my family of origin and fix that person and control their behavior and their patterns. And it took a huge toll on me and my family, um, just mentally and emotionally, because every time you try and control somebody... They prove to you that, oh, hey, you can't control me. So then that ups our anxiety, that ups our attempts to try and control them. They once again show us that we can't control them. And it creates this vicious cycle of anxiety and control and failed attempts to control. And it it just, um, to the point where you reach a breaking point. At, at, some, at some point in that cycle, you reach what I, I experience as a rock bottom of just, I can't do this anymore. Um, and I have talked to many parents who feel that way about their kids' behavior. I have tried everything. They are out of control. They don't respond to any of the stuff I've tried. I don't know what to do. Help. Right. That's that rock bottom script that I hear that I've said to myself, not about my children, but about my my family of origin. Right. And so once I started doing boundary work of, hey, I cannot control that person's behavior. Now, this is within the context of an adult relationship. Right. But I cannot control that person's behavior. So what can I control? and start really paying attention to what I could control, that is very empowering. And it gives you, it it strips away so much anxiety. There comes a peace with that because now all of a sudden I'm recognizing where appropriate control is and, um, and, and those boundaries, there's just so much freedom within those boundaries. And we can so it's not easy work, but it, it very much easily translates into the parent-child relationship as well. Well, and I think that by making that shift, you know, we so often see, like you said, my, my child is out of control and then we get angry with them. We get frustrated with them. It's their fault. Why can't they just behave? But it's almost like a double-edged sword when we say, well, actually, it's your inner work. Like, I'd be curious when you work on that with moms, like, do they feel like a relief? Like, okay, I can, I can fix this. Or are they like the opposite where they're like, oh man, this is like really deep, hard work for me to do. That's an, that question is a great question Um, (laughs) because it depends. Uh, It depends where, because it starts with self-awareness. 
-hmm. We have to be aware of our own responses. We have to be aware of our own feelings. So what do I experience? What sensations do I experience when my child ignores me, when they say no, when they outright refuse to do something, when they impulsively do something they've already been told not to do? What experience is that like for me? Or what's that experience like for me? Um, And so that then becomes a foundation for how they interpret that message of, you know, ultimately you can't control your child's behavior. You can only control yours. The other message that I always couple that with is I also explain child development and why their child is doing things. You know, we've got to depersonalize the behavior. Your child isn't not listening to make you angry. They're doing that because they're exercising their autonomy. They're, they don't yet have the brain development to stop impulses. They don't have perspective-taking ability yet. Um, there's all these uh, like huge brain structure things that are happening in these early years. And often, that's the foot I lead with. So then when parents can empathize and go, oh, hey, and it's not so personal, it doesn't feel like that personal attack, then it's much easier to say, oh, now I can respond differently and here's how you can respond because that's what you have control over, our response. Here's how you can respond in a helpful way to help your child. Yeah, that makes sense. And kind of going off of that response piece, you talk about too on your page, the power struggle uh, between the parent and the child, which you yeah. see so often. And, you know, I'm thinking of, I was uh, in the grocery store the other day and I could hear from the aisle over a father and it ended up being his little boy, probably three or four years old. And his dad's telling him not to touch something. And then it just escalated. And I'm just standing there like, oh, man, because like the little boy is yelling, dad, no, don't touch me. I'm not doing that. And the dad's yelling back at him. And I'm like, oh, and how like it's so common that this is we get into this power struggle and we don't even realize we're there. So can you share a little bit more about this power struggle piece and are there ways that parents could avoid it or I guess a a double question are there ways that they could avoid it but also if they find themselves in it is there something they could do (laughs) okay so this is like a 10-step question no um (laughs) so first of all let me just explain I'll do how I you know work with parents and let's just explain the power struggle so we can understand it and depersonalize it a little bit so a part of childhood, a part of the beauty of childhood and this stage of human development is children are literally learning that, oh, I'm a separate being from my mom. And it really is, you know, mom, because they come, they come out of us, Mm -hmm. right? And, and before that, they don't really have like these physical boundaries and awareness. So that's when around age two, you start hearing no, Mm -hmm. no. None, because that is the easiest way for your child to assert that autonomy, that understanding that, oh, I'm my own person. And then they just start, they start developing likes and dislikes. You know, I like swinging. I don't like coming in to take a bath. I like um, reading my book and snuggling with you. I don't like brushing my teeth. 
you know, they start developing these preferences, which a lot of times don't align with our plans as parents, <laughs> unfortunately. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, and so there's this misalignment of preferences, of priorities, um, which can then lead to very triggering situations for parents because it makes our life more difficult. If you would just brush your teeth, we could go read stories, right? It would be so easy if you just brush your teeth, but your child is trying to assert themselves and who they are as an individual through not wanting to brush their teeth. So that's kind of the first thing to understand is this power dynamic and this, this um, grasp for autonomy and power isn't malicious. It's really important, a really important stage of development, and it's really normal, albeit frustrating a lot of times. Um, the other piece of this, too, is for parents when we don't take it personally. So when we understand that this is a normal part of development, it's important for our kids to flex these social muscles, so to speak, to build them up. Um, because we want autonomous independence. Um, you know, oftentimes when parents say they don't listen, what they really want is compliance, right? They just want their kid to do what they're told when they're told to do it. But if you start asking, well, do you want them to always do what they're told when they're told to do it? And the parents like, well, no. I want them to be their own person. Aha, well, they're practicing that with you. <laughs> You're the lucky winner in this situation, <laughs> you know. Um, so once we understand that whole part of development, then we can start saying, okay, I want to give my child appropriate power, appropriate control, because I want them to be able to practice that and feel like they have appropriate influence over their environments but they can't have free reign. It's just not safe, mm -hmm. right? I mean, your kid, like if, like the person in the grocery store, if he could grab everything off the shelf, chances are he'd grab a glass bottle and throw it on, the, you know, it's just not safe. Um, and so we do then figure out, okay, what do we have control over? And I think to your question about how can we in the moment or when we're approaching these situations, I actually developed an inventory. I have parents take and say, you know, the see me inventory. And a part of that is, okay, is this a safety concern? If it is, you need to move right away. Because if we understand child development, we understand they have such little, if any, impulse control in those very early years. So just because we tell them to stop or put it down, or don't touch that, doesn't mean that they have the capacity to process that language, understand what they need to do, and then put that impulse control, activate those brakes to stop mid-action. They don't have that ability. So, you know, we have to be willing to move. So the example in the grocery store where the dad didn't want him to pick it up or maybe wanted to put him back, what do I have control over? I've been in that situation you know, where the kid's grabbing everything from the cart or off the shelf into the cart. Um, well, I have control where I put the cart. So me as a mom, when I have to take my kids grocery shopping, now they're a little older, but when he was like two and it was intense, um, he just grabbed everything in sight. If I had to stop and look at something and read the label or, you know, I needed to make a decision on peanut butter or something like that, I would pull the cart in the middle of the aisle so he couldn't reach anything 
<laughs> so I could then shift my focus because I'm the one that would have to help him stop those impulses when he was reaching and grabbing. I can't do that and read an ingredients label at the same time. So Such that's what I, right. It's so simple, but it's like, and I tell parents I'm like this is why we're so exhausted because it's this constant like mental exercise and check-in um, of knowing when can we let things go you know when can we just no I want to wear my rain boots okay fine like wear mm -hmm. your rain boots let's just get in the car <laughs> like I don't yeah. care um, so when can we let those things go and when do we really need to hold that limit and how do we do that where we're exerting appropriate control over the situation. What, what do we have control over and not um, trying to manipulate or coerce or overpower our children in situations? Well, and I love that you say that you lead from educating about development and where your child is, because sometimes we kind of need that, like, oh, right, they're only two or they're only five, you know, whatever it may be. And I don't need to take this personally. I just need to meet them where they're at and go from there. I would imagine that probably a lot of the families that you work with, that's like a huge light bulb for them. Yes. Um, it's interesting you honed right in on that. Um, just yesterday, I have a membership group and we do a weekly Q&A. And during the Q&A yesterday, um, we were talking about what I call the flicker effect. So once your children get to like three, four, five, six, you'll see them be able to do things really independently sometimes. For example, going to get dressed. I mean, some days my four-year-old will go in his room and get himself fully dressed all by himself, unprompted. And it's like, oh, whoa. And then other days, it's like, oh my gosh, can you please just like put your underwear on, please? Like, you know, it's like, why is this so difficult? It's the flicker effect, you know, the, the prefrontal cortex. So all of those higher level skills of impulse control and prioritizing and planning ahead um, doesn't come fully online, but they still have some of those skills sometimes doesn't come mm -hmm. fully online till mid twenties. They have some of those skills sometimes, but when they're stressed, when they're dysregulated, like overexcited, um, when they need more connection, you know, all of a sudden those skills go offline. So now they did it yesterday, but they can't do it today. And mm -hmm. we start shooting on our kids. You should know how to do this. You should know better. You can get yourself dressed. You should be able to go in your room and get yourself dressed. So my message to my members yesterday was should is the indicator that you're not accepting your child for who they are in that moment. And we have to respond to our child in that moment, not who we think they should be. Interesting. So then if you were a parent or you had a parent kind of in that situation and it was a day that you know, they got themselves dressed yesterday, but then today, not so much. Like, how would you respond to that? Yeah. I, it seems like you need help getting dressed. I'll go get your clothes out. You can come in the room with me. Or do you want to come in the room with me? Or do you want me to bring the clothes out here? Because here's a part of the see me inventory is getting really clear on what's my bottom line. Like, what's my priority here? My priority is... My kid gets dressed so we can get to school on time. 
-hmm. I can't make it about my kid getting dressing himself independently because chances are if I try and wait him out, it's going to add stress. Stress shuts down the prefrontal cortex. So then you get the whining, then you get the more explosive behavior, right? So, and we're going to be late for school and it's going to turn into the power struggle. Instead of just accepting him where he is, okay, maybe he's nervous about going to school today. Maybe he didn't get a great night's sleep. Maybe he needs more mommy time with me because he misses me. I don't know. I don't even know the reason. I know in that moment, he's not able to organize himself to go into his room and get his stuff. So when I meet his resistance with softness, all right, it seems like, you know, you're having a hard time going to get your clothes why don't you come in the room with me? I'll help you out. Or do you want me to bring the clothes out here to you? Now my priority is still there. It's still going to get done, but I'm meeting some underlying needs he has going on through connection instead of stepping into a power struggle. Mm-hmm. Man, I'm like, as you're, as you're talking, I'm like, schools need you. <laughs> I'm just thinking back to like, you know, classrooms oh, yeah. that as a special education teacher, there's yes. lots of different behaviors and you're right that the response, the way that you respond to each individual kid. So like w- what I say to one kid isn't necessarily going to work with the other kid and, but it makes all the difference. And I always tell my husband, like, I feel like that prepared me for these early days. My daughter's eight months right now, but it prepared me for the crying and the meltdowns that she has because I so quickly learned that how I respond impacts her response. So if I freak out because she's freaking out, then we're all freaking out. So, you know, it's, but just hearing you talk and like, oh, if you could just like be a fly on the wall in classrooms and kind of share this knowledge everywhere, it would just make such a difference in Because it just, to me, seems like behavior is skyrocketing lately, especially. Yes, is skyrocketing. Mm -hmm. And when we start looking at behavior through the lens of neuropsychology instead of behavior, and we understand that misbehavior is either a missing skill, so they don't have that developed yet, right, because the brain doesn't fully form until age 23, 24, or it's a stress behavior and we start responding to the stress and soothing the stress, mm-hmm. right? And, and, and one of the uh, strategies that I use when I work with parents is using adult behavior instead of child behavior as an example. We do that as adults. We yell when we're overwhelmed and stressed out, even though we know yelling is an effective form of communication, um, we may start calling people names or cursing when we feel really angry, really upset, even though we know it's hurtful. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so our brain state absolutely dictates what skills we have available to us in that moment. And if we focus on responding to the current brain state, so what do they need right now? They need regulation. So when your daughter, even at eight months, when she's, you know, 
screaming because she's cutting another tooth and she slept like garbage the night before and now she's an overtired grumpy baby you know <laughs> eight months is there's a lot going on there yeah I was gonna um, say that sounds like my morning but okay <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> been there been there um so you know when we start responding and realizing oh she she just needs comfort and regulation you know, so maybe the schedule does go out the window that day. The more we try and force her into the schedule, the the more stressed you're going to get and therefore the more stressed she's going to get. And it's going to become this cycle. So we can apply this to infants all the way up to adults. You know, mm-hmm. if I'm overwhelmed and huffing and puffing and my husband walks in the door and then starts saying, what's for dinner? Well, you know, why are you doing it this way? What is, and I'm feeling overwhelmed. I start saying, you never help me with, you know, dinner. You never, I'm always the one. He goes, oh no, I helped you last night. And it's going to explode, right? Instead of him just saying, wow, it seems like you're really overwhelmed here. I'll take the boys outside so you can just have some peace and quiet for a little bit. Mm -hmm. Totally different response. Mm -hmm. And that took us a while, by the way, like we're in that space now. But that took a while, and it's really because of all of this work that I've done with children that it does so directly apply to our adult relationships, too. And how amazing that it's able to pay off really on both sides now, as you have it with children and you have it with your spouse, that it's just like such a great skill to be able to hone in on. Um, But I'm curious, too. So you talked a lot about like the power struggles and all of that, which in coming towards like tantrums or like extreme misbehavior, you know, however you want to call it, great strategies for like leading up to preventing. But what would your advice be then to the parent that we're in the full blown, we're in the tantrum, we're in the meltdown. Uh, What is kind of your advice to that parent? Maybe say aside from if it's not a safety concern, um, what's your advice to parents for that? Yeah. So, you know, my, I have a couple different pieces of advice. My goal a lot of times when I work with like ongoing families and and children is to really teach the parents how to attune to their children so that we can recognize what I call those early warning signs of dysregulation. So when the kid starts like bubbling underneath the surface, because if we meet them while they're bubbling, And we kind of calm that storm before it erupts. Oftentimes, um, things don't have to get so explosive and violent and aggressive. Because when we go all the way down in that part of our brain, your child is completely offline. They are in fight, flight, or freeze mode. Um, So any demand we put on them at that point is going to feel like a threat. And I know I saw this a lot in special, you know, when I was in special education classrooms of a child who's melting down, trying to put demands on them. Like that's when we try and teach calming strategies, like take a deep breath, take a deep breath. And the kid is just like throwing a desk at you. You're like, well, it's not working. Breathing doesn't work. (laughs) No, not like that. It doesn't. Um, So I think that first and foremost, if we start just attuning to our child and recognizing those signs, we can either A, help diffuse it in the moment by just slowing down. So that's probably my first piece of advice. When our child gets hot, when they go up, 
in, in intensity, we've got to slow down. Because if you think of the sense of urgency, it's very dysregulating. Mm-hmm. And our children cannot regulate with a dysregulated adult. So they really feed what this is, you know, they feed off of our energy. So slowing down and checking in with yourself first before you approach your child. Because if we go in hot, hey, what are you doing? You can't do that. That's not nice. You know, like those, why would you hate your brother? We start doing that. Well, does that sound calming? You need to calm down. Mm, no, no, that's not, it's not calming. And believe me, those things come out, right? Because I go into a stress state and that's my stress response, barking orders and controlling, right? So um, that's the first thing is slowing down. If there's not imminent danger, if your child isn't throwing a piece of furniture, if they're not attacking you or a sibling, you know, slowing down and just really checking in with yourself and reminding yourself that this is safe I can handle it because the first thing we need to teach emotional regulation is emotional safety. We need to believe that this emotion is safe and we can handle it. Mm -hmm. Then we approach the child and it's really important. The energy with which we approach the child, it's not fast and quick because that's going to register as a threat. Think of like, just, you know, um, threat detection system, scanning. And you if you watch like a deer and they hear a twig snap, they kind of freeze. They go into that fear response mode. Mm-hmm. So if we come in hot, our kid's going to register that as a threat and they're going to spiral even more. So coming in slowly, coming in calmly. And then I think parents oftentimes with the best intention try and talk to their child. Hey, it's okay. It's no big deal. We can fix this or just calm down. We'll figure it out. But that input is, think about when you're really overwhelmed and someone tries to have a conversation with you. It Mm -hmm. adds to the overwhelm, the overstimulation. So quiet is really important. If I say anything to a child who's having a full-blown meltdown, it's something along the lines of, uh, you've got this. I'm right here. I'm right here, bud. Mm-hmm. We can handle this, mm-hmm. you know, and understand. I I liken it. I felt every single contraction when I when I had my boys, and so if you've ever experienced contractions, they come in waves, right? Mm-hmm. It really does mm-hmm. feel like this buildup of pressure, and then you get this release. Like you can feel the feel the wave of energy in your body contracting your uterus. Tantrums, emotions are like waves. They build, build, build. They reach a peak. So I kind of use the same mindset I did to like labor (laughs) with my voice, but they reach a peak and you're like, oh, here it is. This is the big release that he needs, right? He's screaming and we just welcome it. And then it starts coming down and that's when we can get in with our kids and then we can start maybe gently coaching. Hey, you know, you're safe, bud. You've got this. I see that was really frustrating for you right? You didn't like that. That's when we can start coaching and we're not letting them get away with it. 
We're not. We're keeping safety. We're understanding that the more times our children experience safety while they're experiencing a really hard emotion, the less dysregulating that will become over time and the more equipped they'll be able to regulate through it. Children learn that regulation by first co-regulating with a calm adult while they're experiencing that situation. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's... You're right. Like if I like all those different analogies that you gave because you don't want to flood them. And I like that you even touched on, we're not letting it go. You know, we're not, we're we're not, but you've got to get to that place where we're regulated and then we can kind of talk about it or however we, we handle it. And the follow-up is going to look different for different ages, you know, obviously based on their conversation, their verbal ability um, and receptive, uh, you know, uh, language ability. So, but there's no rush. I think there was a myth for a long time. And I don't know if you heard it in school, like you got to catch them in the act, like they're a dog. You got to catch them while they're doing it. No, no. Because if you, when you'll notice this, when your baby gets older, they'll bring up something that happened six months ago, like it was yesterday, because they don't have a great time awareness, right? So they'll be like, Mm -hmm. remember yesterday when I got that green balloon at the grocery store? And I'm like, you mean for St. Patrick's Day in March? (laughs) That was like eight months ago, kid. Like, what? Yeah, yeah. Um, But they remember. So you can bring it up and say, hey, remember when your brother took that train? You can do it 10 hours later. You can do it an hour later. You can do it three days later. Mm-hmm. Hey, remember when you your brother took your train and you didn't like it and you hit him? I wonder what could we do next time? Mm-hmm. And you're having that conversation. You're focusing on what you want, the skill you want to teach instead of the behavior you don't want. Right. And it's amazing how reasonable they are when you wait that amount of time you know I noticed it even with my students that we do we do have the conversations after and it it depends on the kid it might be an hour later it might be the next day it might not be for a long time because if we bring it up again Mm -hmm. we need some time but they are so reasonable that and they're honest they'll say to you like yeah you know I punched so-and-so because I was really mad and I shouldn't have done that And it's just, it's amazing how much they're capable of if you just wait until they're regulated and then talk to them like they're a human being rather than scolding them for something that already happened. Right. Yeah. Because, you know, here's the thing. I did a post a few days ago that was like, so often we'll say things like don't hit, no hitting, hitting hurts, hitting's not nice, you know, gentle hands, no hitting. (laughs) And it's like, kids, kids know hitting hurts. They know that, but hitting is an impulse and Mm -hmm. it's a, it's a reflex. It's a fight or flight reflex. And so they're not consciously making the decision to be hurtful in that moment. They're reacting and they're acting impulsively. And that part of their conscious brain has gone offline. So when Mm -hmm. we have that follow-up conversation with them, we don't even need to dwell on the hitting that much. We can just say, Hey, you know, so-and-so took your train and you didn't like it. So you hit him and that hurt. What could you do next time? And then we, so we spend, I don't know, five seconds on the hitting and we spend the rest of the conversation on what could you do next time? Mm -hmm. Say, hey, I wasn't done with that. Give it back. You know, and then if he doesn't give it back, come get a teacher or come get mom. I can help Mm -hmm. because it's not your job to make him give it back. That's my job is to help. 
Right. Right. So I'm curious then, like you, with the families that you work with, like, what does this look like for you? I know you talked about that you've got like a a membership and you do the Q and A's, you've got some other, like, can you kind of break down what it looks like to work with you? And are there like specific types of, like, do you work with children across the board? Do you work with children with autism? Like kind of break down a little bit more of what you do. Yeah. So, um, gosh, where do I start? I, my heart is with the neurodivergent population. Um, you know, my, my, so my brother is autistic. Um, I grew up, I I tell people I grew up speaking autism just because we didn't know, you know, back in the nineties, um, a lot, a lot of people went undiagnosed. It's just become much, you know, the diagnoses have become much more, um, recognizable, right. Mm -hmm. Earlier, um, on. So that's my heart is the neurodivergent population because they are such a sensitive population. I think there's a lot of misnomers out there that they just don't get it or they just don't care. Um, no, they're so sensitive. So they need even more of this co-regulation and safety and connection support. So when I work with those children and those families, we just up the intensity of all the supports based upon the child's profile. I don't care what the diagnosis is, quite honestly, not in a mean way, but I care about the needs of the child and what supports they need to um, feel connected and feel fulfilled and inspired, you know? Um, And so that's really my heart, but I work with all different families. And the reason why I started my membership, it's, I started it in October. And the reason why is I just, believe that everybody should have access to this information. Every parent, every teacher, every person that works with kids should have access to this. The problem is it's cost prohibitive. Insurance does not cover this. Um, You know, I have to make a living so I can justify being away from my children um, and contribute to the family and my time, right? So, I was getting frustrated and I still do individual consults, but I was getting frustrated on not being able to offer my services to enough people. Um, And so that's why I started the membership as a way to make it really affordable um, and to let people in and have unlimited access to this information. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And it's like you said, insurance doesn't cover it, but it is such a need right now for families, regardless if the child has a diagnosis that, yeah, it's, it's great that you're able to provide that. Um, could you also share, and I'll make sure to drop it in the show notes of the episode, but where people could find you, where they could go about, um, looking into if they wanted to work with you as well. Absolutely. So, um, well, you found me on Instagram. So I'm on Instagram and Facebook. It's just my name, which is Kaylee Kukla, uh, C-A-L-E-Y-K-U-K-L-A. And then my website is KayleeKukla.com. Um, and it's all there. The membership's on there. It's called The Core. It's Centered on Relationships is what that stands for because like I illustrated with like the husband example or the child example, you know, this isn't just for parents and kids. It's not, um, it's not just for neurotypical children. It's also for all children, 
all children deserve to be treated this way. Um, and all people deserve to be treated this way. And, and so I'm really passionate about that. And um, it just really starts with that relational safety and that relational connection. Yeah, I love that. And then I always like ending my episodes kind of um, asking guests that come on that are also moms. I like to ask them, um, how do you feel like you have upgraded since becoming a mom? Because I feel like, at least in my experience, I know <laughs> when I was preparing to become a mom, I felt like there was a lot of negative stories out there just where like I was feeling overwhelmed by like negative birth stories or the no sleep and all of these things that do happen in motherhood but it scared me so I like to try to bring light to what's a positive thing that you've seen within yourself since becoming a mom I am a better human I I mean I've just changed I realize how scared I was in such a fear response space for so long um, and, and tried to control so much. And, um, and that just that scarcity mindset, that fear-based mindset leads to all kinds of stress and overwhelm. And I, and, and I had to stop that. Because when you have a baby, you realize how out of control you are, right? You can't make them sleep. You can do all the things. You can follow all the books. You can have the sound machine in the dark room and the right swaddle times 10 different ones. And you can't make them sleep. Mm -hmm. And so I tell people, I'm like, my first child, my first baby broke me wide open. And and just allowed me to expand and grow and have so much more compassion. Um, and for that, I am so grateful. Motherhood, um, it has just been such an ongoing process of refinement. And um, I just, I remember being in those really dark places that those stories probably come from, you mm-hmm. know, because mm-hmm. there are some dark days. Mm-hmm. Um, but there's also days where when you can gain perspective and you do some really deep self-reflection, you yeah. realize that, um, wow, I survived and, and I've learned so much and embrace, fully embrace who I am right now. And it's just really amazing. So I love um, that. Yeah. Yeah. If moms are in that dark place right now, um, you're not alone and reach out to get help. You know, I, I, it was postpartum anxiety mm-hmm. that manifested as rage and I had no idea that was a thing. Um, and once I got, you know, support and help for that, it changed my life. Yeah. So I just really, you know, you're, what you're experiencing is not the end game. Um, and there's a lot of help out there and support and it's very liberating and you will find peace. Even within the chaos, you will find yeah. peace. Yeah. And that's, that's really the whole reason that I started the podcast is because, you know, our world is so hugely virtual now because of everything going on, but why not take advantage of it and create a community? Because like you said, like we've all had those dark days, we're going to have more dark days, but in creating this community of like, you know what, if I can have people come on and help me learn things, I know other mamas are going to learn things, but also just to create that community and know that 
you're not alone. Motherhood doesn't need to be this huge, scary, dark cloud. It is sometimes scary. It is sometimes overwhelming, but there's other moms here to kind of support you through it, cheer you on and be there for you. And it's been amazing with this podcast, just to have other moms come on and share those experiences and have other moms say like, oh my gosh, I'm not alone. Like I was going through that too. And I thought that it was just me. Right. Yeah. Oh my gosh. No, it's something there's so, it's so funny about like the motherhood initiation where we can like all get together and you know, you're starting to like tell each other your birth stories and it's like, oh, I've known you for five minutes and now you know all about my genitalia or like something. But it's like because we've all, we all like have experienced pelvic floor stuff or something Mm -hmm. like that. So it is, it's so connecting. It's so important. And just like with our kids that, you know, who need that validation, so do we. We, Mm -hmm. we, as humans, we need that validation of you're not alone. It's not just you. Um, and your experience is valid and it's important. So yeah. kudos to you. I'm I'm grateful for this community you've created. That's oh, awesome. Well, well, thank you. And I know you had mentioned before that you have goals in the future of maybe starting a podcast. And I think that would be incredible if you did. You know, it's such it's such an area of need. So obviously best of luck to you with that. But thank you so much for coming on and thank you shared you. So many, I don't know if you saw me kind of trying to type away during this. I was trying to pull quotes of what you were saying. So I was like, oh, that's so good. That's so good. So I know that listeners will feel the same way. (laughs) Oh, well, thank you so much for having me, Caroline. This is great. (laughs) If you enjoyed today's episode of the Mom's Full Circle podcast, be sure to hit subscribe so you can stay up to date with all of our new episodes. I'm always looking to expand my tribe, so please reach out. You can find me at Caroline underscore Prestano on social media. I can't wait to connect with you, and I'll catch you in the next episode.